As we get into the Word of God this morning, most people, when they think about a new year, they think about two things. You know what they are? Predictions and resolutions. Am I right? We start thinking about what am I going to resolve to do this year? What do I think is going to happen in the years ahead? Pastor Farrell told me that resolutions are like crying babies in church. They need to be carried out. (laughs) Here's what I say about predictions and resolutions. Predictions almost never come true. And resolutions are usually faded out by February 15th or sooner. Can I get an amen in the house? Pastor Andrew Price, our minor olive campus pastor, said it this way. He said, my prayer for 2017, Lord, is a fat bank account and a thin body. With all due respect, Lord, please don't get it backwards again this year. I'm just going to ask you two questions, though, and that simply is this. If last year's resolutions and predictions were fulfilled, what would your life be like right now? I mean, would you be smarter or thinner or richer or more committed? I mean, what would be different? More importantly, because there are no guilt trips around here, what kind of person are you going to be 365 days from now? Are you going to be stronger or weaker? The simple truth is, predictions and resolutions fade in time, but one truth remains. One truth remains. Did I say one truth? One truth remains. Write it down, tweet it if you will. God has given us the amazing freedom of choice. He has not given us freedom from the consequences of our choices. Do I need to say that again? That might be repeatable. God has given us the amazing freedom of choice. He has not given us freedom from the consequences of our choices. What that tells me very simply is that it's not so much about what the new year is going to bring as it is what we're going to bring to the new year. Because you get to decide whether you're going to be weaker or stronger 365 days from now. Not because of predictions, not because of resolutions, but by the day-to-day choices that you make. 365 days this year. So I thought it'd be worth our time this morning on this first Sunday of the new year to to examine the life of a man in the Bible who was reputed to be the strongest man that ever lived. But the reality is he was a physical specimen, yet a spiritual wimp. You wouldn't say that to his face, of course, but you you get what I'm saying. And here's what I want you to get. His spiritual weakness came because of the choices that he made in life. His spiritual weakness came because of the choices that he made. What we're going to do in the few minutes we have together this morning is we're going to walk through three chapters of the book of Judges, not verse by verse. We'd be here for a long time. But there are three chapters in the book of Judges that lays out a saga for us that makes it clear some of the choices that he made and why those choices weakened him. And then we're before we leave here today, we're going to commit to make different choices. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Let's lean into it. Judges chapter 13, verse 24 starts our saga with a simple statement. The woman gave birth to a baby boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. What does that say? It says that from the very beginning of life and all throughout his young life, he had it all. He had good looks. He had strength. He had a godly family. He was probably voted most likely to succeed in high school. He was big man on campus in college. I mean, this guy had it all, but he wasted it simply because of wrong choices that he made in life until one day he woke up 
and it was all gone. Three choices that he made that I want you to do your best. I want you to trust God to help you not make in 2017. Let's lean into it. Let's get into it quickly. First of all, Samson chose to be self-indulgent. Samson chose to be self-indulgent. We're talking about being undisciplined. We're talking about ignoring the need to be self-controlled or more importantly, to be Holy Spirit controlled. By the way, you do know what the number one uh, resolution in America is. Hello, are you out there? Is this microphone on? You know what the number one resolution in America is? Lose weight. You got it. You know what the number one justification for the Christmas pig out is? The diet that I'm going to start on January 2nd. That's, that's exactly it. Hear me. Anything left out of control in your life, whether it is spending or eating or sex or alcohol or work or emotions, even religion, anything left out of control in your life will ultimately weaken you. And we all have pet indulgences. Mine happens to show. It's, it's spelled B-R-E-Y-E-R-S. Some of you are trying to write it down so you can figure out what. Samson's was women. Samson was the playboy of the Old Testament. We're going to walk through three chapters. You're going to see he had three women and in trouble with all three of them. His first encounter was when he went down to Timnah. So let's pick it up. We're looking at chapter, Judges chapter 14, 15, 16. You brought a Bible. You got a smartphone or an iPad. You can look it up. It'll be on the screens for you as well. But let's pick it up. Let's get into Judges chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. I've given it to you in the Amplified. So he went back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now get her for me as a wife. Understand that this is the day when marriages were arranged. Parents would get together and they would say, okay, here's what we're offering. What are you offering? And they would arrange a marriage. So Samson has seen this woman. He's come home. He's told his parents, I want you to arrange that I get to marry this woman. His father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the pagan Philistines? And Samson said to his father, get her for me because, why? She what? You guys are going to get it. You're going to have to. She looks pleasing to me. Pastor Jim paraphrased, I don't care that I made a commitment to only marry within my faith. I don't care that a marriage ought to go deeper than how somebody looks. I don't care. I like the way she looks, and I want her. Arrange it. Make it happen. She's smoking hot, and I want her. That's, that's kind of the paraphrase of, of that passage. But that's how Samson lived. I want what I want. I'll worry about the consequences later i got to ask, don't raise your hands, sit real still so nobody will know, but be honest with me, have you ever played the game just this once? It's no big deal, it's just a little thing. That's Satan's, Satan's favorite rationalization, you know. It's no big deal, everybody's doing it. It's just a little thing. Have you figured out yet that little things have enormous impact on our lives? Have you figured that out yet? You take a huge cruise ship with a small leak. The announcement that comes over the intercom is dinner at 8, dancing at 10, bailing at 12. <laughs> okay? 
And when you hear them say, all I'm saying to you is when you hear them say, it's just a little leak, don't worry about it, here's what I want you to hear. That's what they said on the Titanic. <laughs> little leaks sink big ships. It's only a question of timing. It's when, not if. And if you live an undisciplined life and you give in to your indulgences, the flesh that so easily tempts us, understand choices have, what's the word? Consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, don't be fooled, you cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. I'm not a farmer, but I'm smart enough to know that if you put corn seed in the ground, what are you going to get? You're going to get corn. You have the freedom of choice. You don't have freedom from the consequences of your choices. Let me illustrate it in farming terms or in gardening terms. Now, let's say that you've decided that in 2017, you're going to win yard of the month every month this summer. So what do you do? You go down, down to tractor supply and you start looking for some really expensive grass seed. You're going you're gonna to do this thing right. And you see a sign that says free Kentucky tall fescue seeds. And you go, wow, that's a deal. That's great grass. It looks great. It takes a lot of effort and maintenance, but it's really good looking stuff. I th and it's free. Man, that's a deal. And then you get close to it and you see the small print that says, this seed contains a small amount of crabgrass seeds. Suddenly it's not such a good deal, is it? Why? Because the crabgrass will eventually overwhelm the fescue and kill it. What am I saying? Lesson number one from Samson's life, strong people discipline their desires. Say it with me. Strong people discipline their desires. Strong people don't just say, hey, nobody's perfect. It's no big deal. They know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd what? Be a slave to my whims. Freedom is on the other side of discipline. Strong people discipline their desires. You ready for number two? Are you ready? We'll be here all day if you're not. <laughs> ready for number two? Here we go. Number two, Samson chose to hold on to bitterness. Samson chose to hold on to bitterness. If you read his story, you're going to see a guy who lived in a constant state of anger. I mean, he was always reacting violently. You talk about a hothead. His primary motivation in life was to get even with anybody that did anything to him that he perceived to be bad. Chapter 14 actually ends with a statement that says his anger burned within him. Verse 19 of chapter 14 says he killed 30 men just for their clothes. I mean, this is an angry guy, okay? Judges 15, 7 describes his attitude. Then Samson said to the Philistines, Since you did this, I won't stop until I pay you back. Here, here's what that says to me. Samson made his decisions about what he was going to do in life based on reacting to what other people have done. You know the difference? between a reactor and a proactor? Do your heads like this. You know the difference? Yeah. 
A reactor is somebody who waits to see what's going to happen, checks on the circumstances, and then responds to the circumstance. There's sometimes you need to do that. You need to respond to your circumstances, but not reactively where the circumstances define your response. A proactor is somebody who decides what they're going to do, and that's what they do. Here, here, let me explain it this way. There are two approaches to life. There's only two. There is feel, act, think, or there is think, act, feel. Understand the difference? Feel, act, think says, I'm going to check how I'm feeling. I'm going to act according to my feelings. And then I'm going to think later about how that worked out. Right? So you're sitting at home and your roof is leaking. And you know you should do something about it. But you don't feel like it. And it's not raining right now anyway. So you don't do anything. Right? So you act according to your feelings. What do you think later? I probably should have done that. Right? Think, act, feel says, I'm going to think about what's the right thing to do. I'm going to act on what's the right thing to do. And then I'm going to let the feelings come because I've done the right thing. Now, how do you think those feelings are going to be? You see the difference between those two approaches to life? Feelings are a part of your life. Emotions are a part of your life. Emotions are not bad. I'm just saying that if life is a train, let your feelings be the caboose, not the engine. Let them be the thing that follows your choices in life, not the thing that defines your choices in life. Samson was the guy who defined his choices in life by how he was feeling, and he felt angry most of the time, so that's how he reacted to life. Even when the men of his own tribe tried to calm him down, verse 11, he said, well, I only paid them back. I merely did what they did to me as if that were a justification for what he did. Kim and I have three sons of whom we are embarrassingly proud. They all have, uh, are grown and married and have kids of their own and are serving the Lord, and we're thrilled about uh, what's going on in all of their lives, and we love the fact that we get to Skype with them because all of them don't live in this area. But, uh, but when Andrew, our oldest, was three, we were living in Faison at the time, pastoring a church in Faison, North Carolina, and a good friend of ours, some of you maybe know Doc and Connie Hobbs, lived here in Goldsboro all their lives. Doc and Connie were really close friends. We were having dinner one night. Their son, Chris, is only three days different from our son, Andrew, so they're in the back bedroom playing. And after a while, we're sitting out there just enjoying coffee after dinner, and, and Andrew comes walking down the hall, and he's crying. He's crying his eyes out. He is bawling at the top of his lungs, and we're saying, Andrew, what in the world is going on, man? Are you okay? And what came out of his mouth is, Chris hit me back. <laughs> well, you kind of expect a three-year-old to act that way. But you expect them to grow up eventually and stop reacting to life. Let me just be real clear about this, okay? Getting even wastes three things. It wastes time. I mean, you're home stewing, and they're out there partying, right? 
First, uh, uh, Psalm 139 says, all the days of my life are written in your book. That tells me that I have enough time to do everything God put me on this planet to do. And if I waste time with things like getting even, then I'm using up time that God intended for me to use for his purposes. It wastes time. Second thing it wastes is energy. Understand, anger is energy. When you get angry, what do you do? What do you do? Some people clean fast, scrub hard. Some people drive fast. Some people put their fists through the wall. I mean, what, what anger is energy. It produces energy. It's this thing that happens. Well, if you spend all your energy trying to get even, you, you just wind up tired. You just wind up exhausted. And that exhaustion ultimately ends in depression. So you're wasting time. You're wasting energy. You're wasting creativity. Spending so much time thinking about ways to get them back. How am I going to get them back for this? Uh, you're just wasting creativity that could be used for better things. And Samson was incredibly creative. If you spend some time reading through chapter 15, and I hope you will, uh, this afternoon or beyond, Samson was this amazing creative genius at getting even. I mean, at one point, he, he caught 300 foxes. He tied uh, burning torches to their tails. Don't try that one at home. And he set them loose in their harvests and burned their fields. Now, that's creativity. By the way, a little known fact, that's the origin of taillights. I don't know if you know that or not. That's just, that's just kind of a little piece of information. Comedy's going to a whole new low at the Goldsboro campus of the bridge this week. Huh? Another time, he killed a 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. That's creative. I mean, couldn't he find a sword or an M16 or something? I mean, come on. I mean, with a jawbone of a donkey, I had a lady come to me one time and said, after I talked about this issue, he came and said, well, you know, God uses the jaw of a donkey all the time. I said, really? When? She said, every Sunday morning. I was... <laughs> God bless you, sister. <laughs> Hear me, guys. Here's what I'm saying. If the world used as much time and energy and creativity on resolving the problems in our world as they do on reacting, we'd solve all the problems this year. It's ultimately a waste of your time, of your energy, and of your creativity, and ultimately brings you down. Lesson number one, strong people discipline their desires. Lesson number two, strong people restrain their reactions. Just because it comes up, doesn't mean it has to come out. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 from the New King James, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. History tells us that Alexander the Great, after conquering the known world in a fit of rage, killed his best friend, his right-hand man, and afterwards was quoted as saying, I've conquered the world, but I cannot conquer my own soul. Now understand, anger in itself is not wrong. The Bible says, get angry, just don't sin. Anger's a red flag. Anger says you care. You get angry about something, that means you care about that. You don't get angry about stuff you don't care about. Am I right? So anger itself is not wrong. I mean, since we bought a fixer-upper, I know Kim loves me a lot. I mean, <laughs> all I'm saying is before you act, Ask yourself the question, am I being proactive or am I being reactive? 
Am I allowing my emotions to define my choices here? Or have I stopped and say, okay, God, what's the right thing to do? Give me the grace to do the right thing here. And let me just tell you right here and now that you need to make those decisions and those commitments in advance. You see, if you wait until somebody hurts you to decide whether or not you're going to be a forgiver, hello? You may not. But if you decide in advance, I am a forgiver. I am a grace giver. I am a gracious person. Then when the hurt comes, you've already decided in advance who you are. And you act accordingly. Is this making sense? Strong people make commitments and they honor their commitments. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, a rebel shouts in anger. A wise man holds his temper in and cools it. Bet you didn't know chill out was in the Bible. But there it is right there. Right? What weakened Samson's life? His choices. He chose to hold on to self-indulgence, and he chose to hold on to bitterness. Number three, Samson chose to live carelessly. At the end of the day, he just lived this careless life. He was strong, but hear me, his strength was from God. Remember, from the time of his birth, he was blessed by God. And as he grew, he was blessed by God. God's favor was on his life. But that favor was contingent upon three commitments that Samson made. He made the commitment that he would not let alcohol pass his lips, that he would eat a special diet, and that he would never cut his hair. Now, those three things are not a, a list for you to check off. But there is a principle behind that list that says his strength was not so much in his hair or in his diet. His strength was in the fact that he made a commitment to God. And as long as he honored that commitment to God, God's power was available to him. His hair was just an outward symbol of his commitment. It didn't make him strong. Does that make sense? I'm wearing a wedding ring. That means I'm married. Kim and I, February, 41 years we've been married. You can tell I robbed the cradle when you look at her, but uh, if I take that off, am I still married? Well, of course I am, because I'm not married because I wear a ring. I wear a ring because I'm married. Does that make sense? I'm married because I stood at an altar almost 41 years ago and said, I will for the rest of my life. Good, bad, and ugly, I will. I am. I'm yours. And I've tried to honor that commitment since then. But if I take this ring off doesn't change the fact I made a commitment. Now, if I take this ring off and I put it in my pocket in hopes of deceiving someone into believing that I'm single, now we're talking about a whole different thing, aren't we? Now we're talking about setting the vow aside for some purpose or meaning. And that's what Samson began to do. He began to play with his vow. He forgot it. He compromised his values caved into his desires and his emotions. He simply didn't take his promises to God seriously. For him, life was a game. It was all just fun. He was a playboy having a good time, and he toyed with temptation. He, he lived this, how close to the edge can I get without falling off kind of approach to life, and his careless attitude ultimately cost him virtually everything. But it shows up most clearly in chapter 16, in what I call the barbershop barber episode. Some of you are familiar with it, perhaps. I don't know. It may be new for you, but what simply happens, he's with his third woman now. Different woman each chapter, different problem each chapter. Now he's with Delilah. 
And Delilah has been promised by the Philistines big bucks if she'll get Samson's secret. Find out what the secret of his strength is, and we will reward you handsomely. So she goes after it and makes four different attempts in this chapter. Attempt number one, uh, she goes to him, and she asked him, and Samson kind of toys with her a little bit. He says, you know, just tie me up with seven fresh vines and, that have never dried out, and, and I'll be weak as water. So he goes to sleep, and sure enough, as soon as he's asleep, she takes these seven fresh vines, and she ties him up, and she brings the bad guys in to capture him, wakes up the next morning. Party's over, he takes the bad guys out, okay? He's playing with fire is what he's doing. So within a short period of time, Delilah tries again. She comes back and says, oh, Sammy, baby, poopsie, whoopsie. You, you made a fool out of me. Please, come on. Okay, he said, it's new ropes. Now go get me some grapes. I mean, it's just kind of, I don't care, right? You'd think Samson would be catching on. Go to sleep, wake up, bad guy's in the room. Elevator didn't quite go all the way to the top, okay? His chassis was classy, but his brain was a drain. I don't know, but if I keep waking up and there are men in the room trying to kill me, I'm going to start saying, I might be doing something wrong. I don't know about you. I'm just, that's, that's just the way my brain works. By the third attempt, he, he's, he knows exactly what's going on, but he thinks he's invincible. This kind of stuff happens... To other people, it won't happen to me. I can be married and still toy with this lady at work. Nothing bad will happen to me. I can take a drink. I'll never become an alcoholic. Happens to other people, not me. I can play with fire. I'll never get burned. That happens to other people. Won't happen to me. He's playing with fire now. This time he says, braid my hair into seven braids. Same thing. Bad guys come in the next morning. He kills them all. The fourth time is the saddest time and one of the saddest, most tragic verses in all of Scripture. Because day after day, the Bible says, she prodded him to death until he was tired, until he was worn out. Sam, you made a fool of me seven, uh, three times. <laughs> Please, you've got to tell me the truth. And he finally tells her the truth. He says, if you cut my hair, I'll be weakened. Now, what I need you to understand is that that didn't happen overnight. Little by little by little, playing with fire, he weakened to the point that he told her, cut my hair, and I'll be weak. Chapter 16, verse 19, she says, put your head in my lap, honey, and go to sleep. And when he does, she cuts his hair. And Samson utters the saddest words in Scripture. Judges 16, 20, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't even know. He'd gone so far from his vows. He'd gone so far from his commitment. He didn't even realize that the presence of God and the power of God that he'd been depending on, taking for granted, had been removed 
Little by little, he moved further and further away from God because he allowed his lifestyle to weaken him more and more and more. Lesson number three, strong people keep their commitments. Strong people keep their commitments. Let's just be honest, guys. Nobody ever takes a drink planning to become an alcoholic. Nobody ever goes to a marriage altar planning to end up in divorce. Nobody uh, lives their lives in a way that I, I'm going to abuse my body and see if I can die young. I, we don't start out to do that. Well, whatever the situation, if we're not consistent with our commitments, we wake up one day and say, how did I get here? How in the world did I get here? The answer is we just simply got careless about our commitments. Don't take them lightly. Be careful about choosing your commitments, and then be careful about keeping them once you make them. There's an old saying out there that says a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. I say life is only as strong as its weakest commitment. Strong people live by their commitments. They, if they make their bed hard, they lay in it. If they say, I'm going to do it, they do it. They're dependable. If they say, you can count on me, you can count on them. Strong people do what they say they're going to do. And if they can't, they fix it. I believe that's true for you as an individual. I believe that's true for your family. I believe that's true for us as a church. The strength of our church is defined by the commitment to our commitments that we make as a body of people. That's how life works. Samson was committed to one thing himself. Feels good, do it. No commitment, no discipline. What he didn't realize is that discipline ultimately brings freedom. Undisciplined people are slaves to their whims, to their desires. I've got to close, and I'm not going to belabor this point, but I do want to ask you, what's the weakest link in your commitment chain? What are you going to do about it in 2017? You get to decide how strong you are 365 days from now based on the choices that you make. Let's close. It's a good news, bad news kind of closure. The bad news is in Judges 16, 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. That says to me, one preacher said, sin is blinding and binding and grinding. Here's what I say. The champion of Israel is now a sideshow. He's lost it all. His power, his potential, his freedom, it's all gone. Remember how he got there? His choices. The good news is found in verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Get the picture. Samson's in prison. He's bound He's blind. He's grinding wheat in the bottom of the prison. And he's starting to think, man, I blew it. I knew where my strength came from. I knew that it came from the commitments, the vows that I made before the Lord. And the only reason that I lost it is I stopped honoring my vows. I stopped honoring the commitments that I made. And so if I want to 
If I want it back, maybe, maybe, is it possible? Have I gone too far? Have I done too much wrong? Am I so far away from God that it's not possible for me to get my strength back? Or is it possible that if I start honoring those commitments again, that somehow the strength will come back to me? Could there be a second chance for me? No, not me. Yeah, maybe, me. Samson recommitted his life, and the greatest military victory of his life came on the last day of his life. Here's the good news. We are sometimes careless about our commitments. God is never careless about his. He's never careless about his. You might consider this story to be a tragedy, but there's a comfort in it too. You know what it is? Samson made the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame. Messed up a lot. But at the end of the day, he renewed his commitment to the Lord. And God never gave up on him. Let's pray. Just think with me quietly, just in the quietness of the moment. I'm not going to keep you long, but I do kind of want to bring this home to us on this New Year's Day. Nobody's going to ask you to write this down or share it with anybody unless you need to, but even in just the privacy of this moment, the quietness of this moment, just what's out of control in your life? I mean, you may be able to hide it, but it's there and you know it. Is it appetites? Is it habits? Is it finances? Is it morals? I mean, regardless of how big or how small it is, if it's out of control, it'll sink you. Today's the day to deal with it. Here's another question. Who are you carrying bitterness toward? You think of them and you get a bitter taste in your mouth. A parent, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a brother, a sister, a child. After all I've done for you, I, I don't know. Whoever they are, it's time to forgive. Don't carry that bitterness into this new year. I beg you. It's defined you long enough. Third question, what have you become careless about? More importantly, what are you committed to? Are you taking God seriously or casually? 2017 provides you an opportunity to make new choices. I'm asking you to make a simple one with me this morning. With every eye closed and nobody's looking around, it's just me and you and God for a minute. Pray a simple prayer. Pray it in your own words. Pray it out loud. Pray it silently. I don't care, but let it go something like this. Yep, made a mess of things. Not sure God accepts me. Oh, thank you, Lord, you do. Samson's life is a reminder to me that you do. Thank you for accepting me just the way I am. And thank you that you want me stronger even more than I do. So I'm committing to you wholeheartedly. For the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro across the whole earth 
looking for hearts that are fully devoted to him so he can show himself powerful through them. See me, Lord. See me. In Jesus' name.